Hi, and welcome to the new episode of the Now Spinning Magazine podcast with me, Phil Aston. And in this week's episode, I'm honoured to have with me legendary vocalist, actor and all-round entertainer, Michael Debar. Now, Michael is a vocalist extraordinaire with Silverhead, Detective, Checkered Past, The Power Station, the writer behind the global hit Obsession, and has probably undoubtedly been in everybody's living room across the world, even if you're thinking, I know that name from somewhere. And you some bedrooms. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and I want to talk about this new box set as well, which is a the original recordings of everything that Silverhead, Michael's first band, which has recently come out on Cherry Red Records. But before I start with Silverhead, Michael, I want to just roll back the years a little bit because whereas many people in music start off wanting to be a rock and roll star or musician, you began life as an actor, didn't you? And, uh, and what my interest in this is that you were in a major film, So With Love, to So With Love, sorry, with Sidney Potier, and that could have been your path. So what made you, what was the calling that brought you towards wanting to be a rock singer in a rock band? I don't see any distinction between the two. I'm just an exhibitionist in whatever form it uh, <laughs> Whatever form comes in, you know, I uh, I like playing stuff. I, I think that music drew me in even when I was very young. I mean, I was very young in these boarding schools. I listened to the blues a lot. And this was pre-young uh, actor vibe, you know. But yeah. I left school at 16. I went to the drama school. Mitch Mitchell was sitting next to me uh, wow. learning how to do ballet. And he says to me one night, he says, okay, Michael, um, what I think you know you'd like is to come down at a marquee club, and uh, I'm playing with this black geezer, left-handed, and he's really good. <laughs> so it's been it's been an, an equation of showing off and exhibitionism and confidence and and joy and pain and coke and heroin and Miss Pamela. I mean, it's been a, a really wonderful journey, really. I mean, whatever things that happened that seemingly were not cool became cool. You know, it, it drove me through, you know, to the next thing. Yeah. So I was never stuck. You know, I would hate to be playing Silverhead songs called More Than Your Mouth Can Hold at 74. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. Just, it doesn't make sense, you know. No. I mean, they had those two albums because people often say to me, well, why did you break up? Why did you break? I didn't break up. I just got into something new, you know. What what kind of effect do you think acting had on you being in the band? The, the reason I ask that question is because you obviously, in all those photographs of yourself in that period, you come across as being 100% confident. Literally, the lens is your friend. You know, you the, the, the mm. photographs are just iconic. And did you, was that really you? as the vocalist in Silverhead, or were you, or did you almost design the character of the perfect frontman? Were you did you kind of put together a character from your acting background for Michael Debar, the singer of Silverhead, or was it just yourself? I, it was just me. I mean, I I didn't, you know, think about you know, redoing Mick Jagger, you know, or, or or I never even used the words front or man, you know. Um I I, I don't think that the the descriptions of what I did, um, I would say it was closer to writing a script and playing it out. I think it was that, 
you know. But I, I believe, in, and even then I was reading Krishnamurti and all, all of the philosophers at school, I would read, yeah. you know, because I, I wasn't allowed to go back to home because there was no home. So I read an awful lot and I, I just dreamt it up. You know, and I I I just done Hamlet, you know, around Europe with the Royal Shakespeare Company, and and I, I was bored stiff about doing the same, you know, words every night, even if it was William Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, I, I'd rather hear Mick Jagger's lyrics at that point, but but I just, you know, yeah, it was a contrivance, I think. Because you you were very new to songwriting as well, weren't you? Because the way that started, you just literally. What's it, what's the story that you went around and said and just played a song there on in the moment? Please finance my rock and roll band. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, because that was one of the props of the uh, of the recreation of of myself. You know, I mean, I got a guitar within two weeks. I mean, I was playing. It's three fucking chords, you know, <laughs> three <laughs> chords and a, a and a good imagination and a sensual vibe. You know, rock and roll. Rock and roll is a synonym for fucking. Obviously, what do you think it means? You know, and uh, you know, I was extremely into that. And I, you know, I got the guitar, I mean, a couple of chords. And, and he says to me, you know, when we were doing Jesus Christ Superstar demos, he says, well, you know, you really. And he came to see that musical, that nude musical. And I was playing a character called Rose. And yeah. we were naked. Can you imagine that? In 1971 or 1970, <laughs> over 50 years ago, I was naked on the West End of London. How old How old were you back then? That was being like... Was, I was 18, 19, maybe. Wow. It's crazy. It's yeah. insane. But I do believe that I, I did create these vibes. I mean, if you think about it, they're all different, you know, one and another from another in bands. And I, I eventually learned how to write, you know, with the help of Rod Davis and Nigel Harrison. You know, you wrote, like, even, even on even on the first album, there's songs like Johnny and In Your Eyes, which are just beautiful songs which are completely penned by yourself, aren't they? They're just... Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, once I'd done one, you know, it's like becoming, you know, from virginal to <laughs> personal, yeah. you know, real, you know. Uh, and I, I once I'd done one, and I think it was only you, and I, I wrote it for Wendy, you know, my first wife, and it just came out, you know, it's one of those things. I didn't spend any time in it. The best songs that I've written, I've, I've done in 10 minutes, and I'm sure you've heard that a thousand yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because you're not thinking, you're playing, you're feeling, you know, and those words don't come uh, from a, a dictionary, you know, or an encyclopedia, you know, they, they just come to you. The story is beautiful. And yeah, that's what it was, only you. The, the irony, of course, is I've had two wives since, but there you go, you know, say la vie. Yeah, but because you, you, Silverhead is seen as like a, a glam band now when people look back. Through, but but you were, you were, there was lots of R and B and and soul and blues in those songs. Um, yeah, yeah. Because one yeah. of the things I think people think now, um, you know, when you think of a glam band, it's a band like Motley Crue or or a lot of these eighties LA based bands, Faster Pussycat and everything. But they were very one dimensional compared with Silverhead, who were very varied. It was there was lots of light and shade on those records. You know, there'll be a rock song, and you could tell that some of the you know sort of thing that the Black Crows would do a decade later. There's lots of slide guitar and etc. And and also your vocal delivery when I can hear your vocal delivery in so many different vocalists over the years. 
so many people must have been influenced by you who maybe have name checked you since, or maybe just thought no one will ever know who these people are. But I really like watching this guy, or I really like listening to this guy because I can pick up, you know, your sound, the way you phrase things so easily, especially in uh, Chris from uh, Black Crows, or think about we think about Dave Lee Roth and all these front men. And but you were there, you were that you were in Britain in the UK where we didn't really have flamboyant lead vocalists. Well, we could talk about Bowie or T Rex perhaps, but not fronting a rock band. You were really making your own footprints at this point. Yeah. Did you feel uh, you were and, out there on your own? Yeah. I mean, the thing is about it is is I didn't I didn't really think about anybody else. I, I saw Rod at the Queen Elizabeth Hall. I saw the faces. I was doing something. I was doing a TV show, and I went down there, and he really personified what I thought was really cool, you know. He was uh, dashingly fun. But he, you see... He had fun in there. There was a comedic quality, a dramatic sort of comedic quality. Even when he sang Morning Dew, he still had a lot of sort of spiritual vibes to it. Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of me with that, I mean, what you got to do is you've got to perform the words. You see? Yeah. So it's not just meaningless stuff. My, I, I fucked her in the hotel, you know, kind of 80s stuff. And yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I've lost my Aquanet Superhold. Um, you know, it's not, it wasn't that. It was like I was really only you. It was only you, you know what I mean? And um, I yeah. met you in Chicago and all of those songs. They mean something. Hello, New York. Fucking fire. The hotel takes fire. The first night we're in New York. I, I just wrote what happened and acted it out on, on stage every night for two years. But it's, um, while still being on the, the first album, it says it's, it's produced by Martin Birch, but I think it, you all did it yourselves, didn't you? I think he oh, was. Yeah. yeah. He just went there, yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's certainly, there's some producers that get involved in it and, and there's some that don't, you know, and the rest is history. Yeah. But you had, uh, on, you had brass, brass players on there, female vocalists. It was a very mature and really professional rock album for, for, for your young years, the whole of the yeah. band, really, you know, great bunch of talented. Oh, kids. it's so great. You know, amazing. Nigel ends up in Blondie, you know what I mean? Yeah. Good Lord. He can do whatever he wants. He's one of the great bass players of all time. And Rod Davis's riffs and uh, Robbie Blunt, you know, with plants and incredible slide guitar players, Steve Forrest, same thing. Pete Thompson, great drummer. You know, and the way we did it was, you know, wanted, uh, you know, I got them all in, you know, on, because I got signed to a label and then I, but I didn't have a band. So we put an ad in the Melody Maker, you know, and, and they, the first five go actually it was all built on what they weighed. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? They had to be thin. That was my only, you know, bar. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, so, you know, it's a, it's a, a very difficult thing to explain something so existentialist, you know, as get as being up there in front of a microphone. It's up to you. You know, I was no different in front of the microphone than I was in front of whoever I was, you know, pleasuring each other. You know, it's the same. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. You're attracting something, but it's a it's coordinated, you know, between audience and the performance is such a magic thing when you get it. Doesn't mean you get it every night, you know, no, no. <laughs> in more ways than one, you no. know what I mean? But it was so, so on the, the second album, 16 and yeah. Savage, obviously, as you said, the, the box set has taken its name from one of the tracks on this 
on this album called More Than Your Mouth Can Hold, which is obviously rock and roll innuendo in 1973. We were very mm. used to that in the 80s. Everyone was at it. But when you listen to that track, it, to me, it sounds like it could have been a hit single if it probably had a different title. Point of view. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know. Did you did did you ever think, well, maybe maybe calling it this might hamper its commercial attributes or did you not even see it as that kind of could be a single at all? It is such a strong song. Oh, thank you. I, 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 you know, I, I could only do what I do. I I could I didn't think about hit singles or anything. You know, it wasn't wasn't my um, bullseye, you know, I just remember the things that we got up to were just magic you know and we we weren't conscious of any kind of like publicity or anything like that you know i remember nick kent he he talked to me and it's the first time i've talked to any journalist you know um because to me it's so difficult to explain but i i didn't work on anything i had no rules to what i wanted to do and i think that that was pretty charming and i could care less whether they played it on the radio or not i just wanted to play it live in front of people and 16 and savage is about all those girls that i met in los angeles that were being ignored by their parents and so on. it wasn't about me savaging anybody you know which is what people thought of immediately you know it's those young children that were um you know living a single a singular life in that they're, they're very wealthy parents and that's who hung around us rodney bingenheimer of course being the great you know dj and this incredible character in rock and roll would how always had a crew and the crew were beautiful girls and i knew that all of them were in pain and suffering because of their domestic situation you know so that's what I was looking at. But of course it gets perverted and changes, you know, and people want they, people want to know that it's controversial. Controversy sells, right? Yes, it always has done. Yeah, that's very, very true. Very, very true. Yeah, and that's why things, you know, the business side of it was nonsense. Yeah, because you were signed to Purple Records. Deep Purple being one of the biggest bands in the world at the time with that, with the other big bands, you know, Sabbath and Zeppelin and Stones and et cetera. And it could have been seen as maybe it was a vanity label. And my, I first discovered you from buying a sampler album called Purple People. And you were the first track on side two with, um, with the, the re-edited single by Ian, Ian Pace, Rolling mm. With My Baby. And I thought it was the best track on, on that sampler, obviously next to oh, Deep Purple, I was a big fan of. But what yeah. happens next is that when you're thinking that two strong albums, the third one is going to literally break open the doors and it all comes to an end. D- d- now, I'm not there. Obviously, I'm looking in from the outside, but knowing yeah. that did they did they put together all these bands on this vanity label thinking well none of them are probably going to do that well and we can put all this against tax tax and it will help us look after the thing we really want to look after which is our bigger band and all of a sudden silverhead start to take off uh were, were, because you were becoming successful i've heard the the live stuff the crowds are going crazy yeah. um but they decide no we're not doing it anymore was it? Well, it, 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 it's it's not quite as simple as that. It, you know, the thing is, is that one outgrew it. You know, I was tw- very young and the band, and and then I came to America, Phil. Yeah, you know, and and America changed me considerably. I met Miss Pamela, and uh, fell in love with her, and I wanted to live in LA, and they didn't, and that's really oh, what right. happened. Okay, 
You know, so the, the thing is, though, is that after a while, two albums, you know, if, if, if I was shocked that they <laughs> that people didn't dig it. And, we, you know, uh, a lot of people, of course, people still do, you know. And as you say, it's coming out on November 25th on Cherry Red. But the vibe for me was I wanted to move on to something else. You, know? you, you felt like that's, that, that part of your story was done. It wasn't yes, a case of looking for another label. The Artful Dodger yeah. was dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I wanted to be, you know, Errol Flynn Jr. <laughs> you know, or, or change into something else. You yeah. Know? I just wanted to change. I, I didn't, uh, you know, f- I mean, a lot of the guys think, well, we we could have done this and we could have done that, but I don't think like that. I came to L.A. I want to live here. I want to be with Miss Pamela. I want to, you know, play with other musicians. And, and, and they did, too, you know, once we realized what was going on, you know. So no third album, no. So you had a next bite at the apple was obviously under the literally the eyes of Led Zeppelin. Mm. mid-70s when Led Zeppelin at the height of their powers, the biggest band on planet Earth with physical graffiti. And that's when you start to think about, well, you get offered a chance to sign to their vanity label, which was Swan Song. Yeah. Um, And I I know that what happens next is sounds very exciting, but also must have been very frustrating because you were literally put on ice for 18 months to obviously live rock and roll lifestyle to the full, but without making an album. Um, because obviously Jimmy Page was indisposed and busy and the, the whole of the Led Zeppelin camp were, were distracted. What, the, what, what, the one, <laughs> what, what I want to How ask... How nice you are. How yeah. sweet you are. <laughs> because well, an interesting thing when we look back to those that period of, of, of rock and roll history or or, you know, just musicology in itself is that there was no social media then. And so if a band played a bad gig because one of the members was uh, indulged too much, no one was allowed in with a camera, no one recorded it, so you could move on to the next city and it would be soon be forgotten. Yeah. But if if social media had been around in 1975, it, it, that, that photograph of you with Jimmy asleep behind you as you signed the record, the contract would have gone viral and would have, probably damage the brand so it's a different world isn't it now it's probably think for younger musicians looking in through the through the lens of what it was like for you and and again led zeppelin were very young as well is that you can't do that now you make one you trip up in public and it's everywhere within 10 minutes and it will stay there you know forever so it must have been very different knowing that what we see has been put out by the managers and the record labels but behind the scenes, it must have been very frustrating for you, knowing that what was really going on. Well, it was, I suppose. But, we, they, we, you know, they, they gave us an enormous amount of money. And one had 18 months in Los Angeles. And I must say that I was not, you know, being, oh, I really want to go to the studio right now. I can't bear it. I mean, why are we recording? I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm dealing with what is, you know, not what could have been or what should be, put it that way. You know, Jimmy Page is a genius. You know, why wouldn't we wait? You know, it's like saying, you know, look, who can we get to do a painting for us? We have the opportunity to get, you know, Van Gogh to do it, but we have to wait a year and a half. So let's wait a year and a half and then we'll get the painting by, you know. I mean, he was, you know, so that didn't worry me. What? What happened was I became a drug addict, <laughs> you know, during that 18 months. Started off this dreadful vibe. And 
you know, I, I sobered up for the records, you know, and we got to play it. We got to play it with Andy Johns, Glenn's younger brother, who was a tremendous producer, you know. You had and, a quite uh, you had quite a Led Zeppelin vibe on those albums as well. Yourself. Oh yeah, this very yeah 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 big, and we loved that. But my voice is not like Plant. You know, we were playing the blues. Of course, every great rock band has to be based in the blues. So that yeah. there were those connections. The drums. Um, you know, Andy did it. Andy got that sound, and um, John High is monstrous drummer. You know. That yeah. Alabama great players. I mean, we've got so much stuff in, you know, that wasn't released that is, you know, shocking. Maybe it will come out soon, you know, um, on org records that is the plan. But I, I just enjoyed the lifestyle of, of L.A. You must realize that I'd come there for the first time and I had 18 months and, I, you know, and we were very financially good and we did whatever we wanted we go to disneyland you know <laughs> i mean me and miss pamela adoring america like she does you know mickey mouse and rock and roll and muddy waters and and for me that's one equation yeah so i just enjoyed myself i love that song on the second album uh something beautiful I, yeah oh that is nice. that is such well a, a beautiful song your vocal delivery on that it's just amazing. Oh, thank you so much. It was, you know, about Miss Pamela. And uh, obviously, you know, that's what I was feeling. I mean, if you if you really do feel something and you're an artist, then, you know, you want to tell the world. You know, because you you might have the talent to be able to write a song or a play or a movie or whatever it is, you know, but if you want to pay, uh, you know, homage to someone, what a lovely thing to do is yeah. write a song about them, you know. Uh, I should be writing a song about Stevie Van Zandt right now. <laughs> but because of the radio show with him, you know. But, um, yeah, is thank you very much. I like ballads. You sing ballads so well. Um, oh, you know, thanks, man. They're, they're kind of they're sprinkled across every album you've been involved with, um, you know, and they, they are literally, um, they just stand out and they're, t they're just timeless. Um, yeah, timeless. And, you know, that's that's wonderful to hear, you know, because it, I think those are my favorite vocals when I look back and I listen to them, which is very rarely. I mean, I, I, you know, you can't. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah that's ridiculous. But um, whenever I do hear it on the radio or whatever it is, I'll go, whoa, you know, that's pretty cool. And move on to the yeah. next thing. And you did move on and you moved on to the next one, which is one of my personal favorites again, which is Checkered Past. Oh, uh, which great. Oh, I mean, what? What a band. I mean, yeah. the lineup, the music, the songs, the attitude, the look, everything, the timing, everything. I mean, how, how much is too much? The world gone wild, let me rock, only the strong underworld. The songs were just like fantastic. And then oh, again, bless your heart. Yeah. And, thanks, that, and that song, I've got to, again, we mentioned ballads, No Knife. That, yeah, ball no that knife. ballad is. Yeah. Oh, that wow. Was good. That was good. You know, working with Steve Jones and, and Clem Burke and Nigel Harrison, Tony Sales, all very accomplished. You know, Tony was with Bowie's uh, Tim Machine and Nigel Blondie and Jonesy, you know who, you know. Yeah. Sex Pistols, so is it, and Clem from Blondie. It was an amazing band. You know, yeah. I thought we made an amazing record. But it was on EMI, which later we re-computed re as being every mistake imaginable. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and it was one of those things. It was wonderful live. Oh, I can't tell you how fucking cool it was live. 
I've just seen a few videos and you, you've got so much energy on the stage. Yeah, yeah. You seem flying to be like, around. Yeah, yeah, flying around, jumping up and down. You've seemed to be like, I mean, you had lots of energy in the 70s, but you've seemed to be plugged into the mains for this. I mean, what what went wrong? Why didn't it, why didn't it work? Yeah, it worked, well, yeah. AMI, they, they, they AMI. went behind us. They didn't get it, you know. Uh, we wanted to be like a bluesy rock band with, with uh, you know, commercial songs. You know, that's what was our target. It was no, you know, that's everybody's target, isn't it, rock band? But I uh, I do believe that we were not looked after properly. We weren't managed properly. You know, it, it, you have to have that shit together, mm. you know, to get through the doors because there's so many people struggling to do so. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and drugs, of course, were difficult for certain members. I was sober by then, but it's, you know, I, I will leave the rest of your imagination. You know, no, we, no. Were un- uh, we were unreliable for sure. So you had, you'd con you'd, gone clean by this stage yeah and, and had, had that been a, an easy journey for you or do you just you just decided that's it yeah. i'm not doing this anymore that's right you, the, latter, yeah. Yeah, the latter years i mean i i, I just thought what are you fucking more on you what are you doing you know it's so silly i my my usual thing what i had to describe it was i looked in the mirror and i saw iggy pop's mom you know and i thought this is so cool. <laughs> You know, with all good vibes to Iggy, who I adore, by the way. And, and you know, we had some fun too. But it's, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy even that, though. You know, every part of it I've liked, you know, being, being in the band and then trying to struggle to get something else going, you know. And now I'm in the power station. You know, these things just happen to me. Because how you obviously have to... Because there's a lot in this period of your life. It's it's incredibly busy in a way. Because not only have you you've got this checkered past, the power station are just about to appear. But you're also writing what will be one of the best, most memorable pop songs of the '80s. Is around the same period, isn't it? With Holly Knight, is that have I got that right? Is around '83, '85? Oh yeah, yeah. It's this is all going on at the same time. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and that was insane. You know, it was number one all over the world. Yeah. you know, and uh, I. You know, I, I as I always say, I mean, Holly Knight is an incredible writer. You know, she's written yep. some amazing songs, and this is one of them. But I wrote that lyric a few months after I got sober, and it was about drugs. But I changed it into a relationship. You know, the, you're my obsession. You know, who do you want me to be to cop coke? Would would be the other chorus. You know, yeah. <laughs> rather than who do you want me to be? But it's no, um, it's fantastic. It, was, it, it, it shows how your your career, how you've touched so many different things. You've you've flown around the orbit of um, of popular entertainment. Uh, when I was watching the documentary with uh, Sue, my wife, and she went, he did this as well. Yeah, <laughs> it, was just, it was just it was just people. A lot of people may not probably as they followed you probably didn't see that cul-de-sac with this massive hit single popped up in yeah. the middle of it. Yeah, it's amazing. it wouldn't fit into the character no. <laughs> is what you're saying, right? Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. But, uh, you know, to this day, it, I've still Seinfeld clips, you know, whatever it is, Johnny, me and Johnny yeah. Depp in 21 Jump Street or me with Heather Locklear and, you know, yeah. Melrose, play, whatever it is. I mean, I did 150 hours of American television. Wow. Under my belt, you know, and and so people, they don't, now it's just an amalgam of things, you know, because now we got two, three minutes of something and I've got that all over the place. True. When sticking just with obsession for a moment, because that could, did that tempt you into going down the songwriter route? Did you suddenly think I could do this again? No. Um, 
Well, I I did it again with a solo album, and I you know, and I uh, write you know for other people. I wrote songs for, um, but not jumping up and down, you know. And I prefer jumping up and down <laughs> in high heel boots, you know. And <laughs> now, of course, all those all the older lead singers are wearing sneakers, but. Um, I mean, and, and Mick's running up and down. Yeah, yes, yes, true. Yeah, doing aerobics there, but and it's beautiful, of course. Of but, course, uh, yeah. You know, I, no, I like showing off. I'm an exhibitionist rather than hey, here's a song, and you know, like these wonderful guys today, Ryan, Ted, or whatever their names are. You know, that create this incredible music. You know, my, today's music yeah. for Beyonce and Adele yeah. and all of that. I, I have nothing to do with that. I have no idea what they're doing. I mean, I do not know what they're doing. Pushing, I have no yeah, idea. It's not your thing, yeah. So, Power, power Station. Now, this is, yeah. I find this part of your career is very interesting because there they are. <laughs> they've lost Robert Palmer and they don't know what they're going to do. They've got Live Aid in about so many days or weeks and they're going on tour. So who are they going to call? Yeah, who are they going to call? Um, and obviously, their managers, their managers think, I know a guy. <laughs> And they get, and they literally, you're, fly, you're told to fly out to New York because we've got something you might interest you. Is that how it went? Sort of. I mean, what happened was Shepherd Pass opened for Duran. Ah, so Andy and Joe knew there. me. They'd seen yeah. it, you know. So yeah. I get the call. I'm in when I, I, I'm in Florida with uh, Don Johnson, who's making a movie down there. And I was just hanging out with him and, you know, basking in the glory of obsession. And the phone call came to me in Florida saying, listen, what are you doing this summer? And uh, the guy said, and I said, I'm enjoying the delights of a hit single. What are you doing? You know? <laughs> and he says, yeah, would you come to New York and meet some guys who've got a, a, a tour booked and their singer just dropped out? Didn't give me any names at all. And I said, well, uh, if you fly me first class and I have a beautiful white limousine, <laughs> JFK, <laughs> and they're obviously because you know I suddenly heard it in his voice that this was extremely it had yeah, to be done big. quickly. So whenever that happens in your life, ask for a million bucks, <laughs> you know, because they want it, they need it, right? And I yeah. have that kind of like because after being up and down and you know all of yeah. that, I understand the way the thing works. And and they did all of that, and I I went to New York. I went from the airport to uh, Manhattan, got in uh, the elevator, went up to the 10th floor, and there's John Taylor and Tony Thompson looking extremely paranoid. <laughs> and, and just because they've got millions of dollars, this tour. This yeah. is fucking Durand, you know. And uh, and Robert Palmer, I'd known Robert Palmer for years before that and, and loved him, the Marvin Gaye of English soul. There's no question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. great. And, and I adored him, you know, and uh, he dropped out because he didn't want to, you know, with all those girls. You know, and his his stage show is this, I will do an impersonation. <laughs> That's it. I mean, he was, he was just rigid, you know, yeah. and these guys are playing rock and roll. And he's like the rock and roll guitar player, God bless his soul, you know. Yeah. And um, so if I, I say yes, they say, what happened was very quickly was, Power station. Okay. All right. Well, let's go down to the power station, which is a studio, and get the album and take Robert's voice off. And you sing this on the plane to London because Andy Taylor has to say okay. Right? Yeah. So I, I haven't slept. 
I go to the, the you know the power station. I get the fucking thing. I get on the plane. I go to London. Then I'm told to go to a studio like an hour after I'd landed. No sleep. Go to the studio and Andy. No Andy. No Andy. Eight hours. No Andy. Me exhausted. So I say, put up, get it on. Put up, get it on. And so at least when he walks in, I'll be you able to boom, do it, you know. And so eight hours later, Andy comes in in a billowing smoke of marijuana with two massive bodyguards because he's a small fellow. Yeah. God rest his soul. God bless him. All of that, you know, because he's very sick. Yeah. Right now. Um, and I, I really loved him. And, and he walks in and I'm, I sing it, you know, you're dirty and sweet. You know, and and then and, and he goes and he starts moving. And yeah. he goes, okay, like a verse and a chorus. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That was it, you know. Yeah, two minutes, two three minutes, and he says, "Let's go shopping." He says to me, "Let's go shopping." Yes. <laughs> so he takes goes to King Road. I get all these magnificent gear that I wore on that tour, and got back on the plane. Went to the Carlisle Hotel in New York, a beautiful hotel. Go to sleep that night with my new clothes. Yeah. And at 7.45 a.m., the phone rings, and my manager, Danny Goldberg, says, um, you're out. I said, what? He said, you're out. You know, you know, the Palmer's back, and that's that. I said, you're kidding me. <laughs> so cut to that night. Don's in town. This the very night, right? Don Johnson comes to town. We go to a Chinese restaurant, up, upper class, you know. Chinese. Yeah. So we're eating. John Taylor is in the restaurant. Wow. Don Johnson, and a little drunk, Don Johnson goes over to him. He says, um, can I talk to you outside? Because Sonny fucking Crockett was God at that time. Yeah, yeah, he know? was. He and was, John yeah. Goes, uh, yeah, because it turned out that John adored Miami Vice, you know, but yeah. he went outside with him. They talk for about five, ten minutes. I'm there going, Jesus, I'm, I feel so uncomfortable. I've got it. And then I was thrown away. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then and he came back and he said, okay, Mikey, he would call me Mikey. Okay, let's uh, let's just get out of here. So, And John Taylor went back to his table. And I went to bed thinking, oh, boy, do I have to return the clothes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So the morning, the phone rings again. Danny Goldberg, you're back in. <laughs> wow. That's how it happened. So you don't know why so they... whatever he said... You don't know what happened. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. we went, I believe, from Libyan to Miami, and Don came up and sang, some guys have all the luck with us in Miami, when Miami Vice was massive, right? So that that night was extreme. It's all been extremist. Whatever happened to me, it's all been some kind of extreme, different, controversial moments. So you don't know why they kind of called down to having you in the band and then obviously they suddenly changed their mind, but they they couldn't have found anybody else to ready for the tour or Live Aid that quickly. Well, there are very few people that could learn 32 songs in four days, yeah. Yeah, I would mean, thought so, yeah. You know, it was what I had to do. And then when you say I'm bouncing around with energy, look at Live Aid, look at the footage. I mean, I'm completely relaxed. I... You know, I, I just did it. You know, get on with it. My, my, my question about the Live Aid performance is because something I've, you mentioned, obviously you started off life as an actor and you've just 
had the confidence just to go and do stuff. And through the 70s, you obviously were sometimes powered by other substances to keep, you know, like many people were. But by this time, you were completely clean, sober, don't do anything. And you went out after only learning these songs for a few days and went out in front of two billion people. And you you literally, when Don Johnson says, and here are, power station you bounce onto the stage as if this is like the 200th gig you've done and you're as it was probably yeah did you did you have were you were you nervous did you no 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 it's so funny because i was with madonna back there and i could hear her i could hear her bracelets you know she was so nervous i'm going what the fuck is that and it was madonna's bracelets which is the name of my new band anyway so <laughs> there I am. I, what the fuck? Who cares? So, who cares? so, so know, stay, I just want to have fun and sing those songs, have fun and jump up and down because I was sober. I was going to the gym, you know, which I, of course I still do. And I, I just want to be ready, man. Just be ready, you guys. So you weren't, you weren't thinking of, oh, I'll just, I, I need just a drink just for a bit of Dutch courage. Or no, you just thought, I don't need nothing. I'm just ready no. to roll. Yeah. No, it would have been poison, and it is poison to me. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure people can have a couple of glasses of red wine with their dinner or whatever it is, but I wanted six bottles of wine for breakfast. So it's just, a, you know, an extremist thing, and I knew it wouldn't do me any good, and I didn't. I went to one meeting, and I never, never wow. done it. June 19th, 1981. But wow. the Live Aid thing was really fun, man, because they all of us were staying in the same hotel. So that night, that night made Caligula look like, you know, Mother Teresa in that hotel. It was you were sober. So, and I was sober as a judge. That doesn't mean that I don't get into trouble. No, 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 but, no. It's, but it was, I remember I was sitting on a bed. Ronnie Wood, Dylan, Don Johnson and Mick Jagger were on a couch with me. And literally they were all like this with shades. They were so stoned. It was so fucking, and you know, I mean, it was just that's your movie, yeah. Fuck the performances, yeah. That's that's the story of rock and roll. That that couch, and I realized, you know, this is humanity. There's you know, human beings here. They don't even know how to deal with and why why it happened. Even the greatest stars, and Dylan would be the first person to say that. You know? So, so stage fright or anything like that, you've, it's literally never visited you. You've just always thought, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Yeah. So after this, there wasn't any talk of another, um, Power Station album. This is when the acting thing really took off now, wasn't it? The kind of mid late eighties. This is when. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two weeks after the end of the Power Station tour, which was, you know, economically extraordinary for us, you know, me and, uh, Miss P. So what happened was I get a phone call from my agent saying, go to Paramount. You have an audition to play a character called Murdoch in the new series, MacGyver. Yeah. And, and I go, can I read it? You know, so I get it. I read it. I go, oh, yeah, feeling bad, good, <laughs> good, bad. And um, I got my bad vibe going. And I, I, I rented a limo a big white Rolls Royce to go on the Paramount lot, right? Just to cause yeah. a disturbance. <laughs> and we parked it outside and, and Billy who drove it used to drive me around anyway, but, but we come in and, and outside the offices of MacGyver, you know, I kind of, and I'm all in black as usual. And, 
and I they're all smoking outside. Oh boy, we gotta get this gathering. Oh shit, what's this? And I felt like you know Jaja Gabor or something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. the white rope. You know, and uh, there I was, and I know I got the job right there. Of course, I went in and read a bit. You know, I'm going to get that Magad. I'm never going to let him go. <laughs> I'll push him off the goddamn cliff, and he'll never, never know what happened to him. And anyway, so then <laughs> uh, they said, "Yeah, okay, you're a badass." Go up to Vancouver and do this. So I did. And I asked for an exorbitant amount of money and went up to Vancouver and tried to kill MacGyver and failed and fell off a cliff. And weeks went by and again, um, would you come back and, and do another one? And that went on for five years. Wow. And then, of course, it just blew up, doesn't it? The amount of, the amount of parts you had and thing projects you were involved oh, yeah. in. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I worked solidly on every sitcom. You know, I would play the rock star or the villain in hourly shows. Half hour shows, I was a rock star. An hour shows, I was a villain. I mean, it, it was an extraordinary time. It really was. I mean, doing Seinfeld, also the smelly car episode. Well, I don't know if you're aware of that, but it was huge. I mean, Seinfeld were the Beatles for a while, that that show, yeah. those guys. And they were really good, really funny. And, and uh, I, I did all of those shows. Carol's did you place. did you feel like you'd gone full circle with going back to your literally? No, roots? no, it's a crooked circle. It's a, <laughs> you know, it's a it's a circle with corners, you know, um, which is clearly Pink Floyd's new album. Um, you know, dude, I I just think fell into things in the right place at the right time, you know. And I think the reason, you know, I knew how to act. I was confident enough to be able to go on a set with anybody. Clint Eastwood, you know, I did Pink Cat. Yeah, yeah. Clint Eastwood. And that was, I go up to him. He'd never met me. He cast me on video. I, I, you know, I talk like this. And I was like um, a biker, badass fucking biker. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, fuck off. I was that guy. Yeah. And I yeah. go up to him and, and that's all he saw. He said, yeah, yeah, let's get him. And so when on the first day, I go out and it's we're in we're in Nevada in the mountains and because uh, I played the biker gang a white sort of uh, evil motherfucking Harley Davidson gun jacket leather you know and I go yeah. up to him and I go Clint uh, Mr Eastwood and he goes ah yes and what I said go ahead make my career. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, the whole crew were <laughs> laughing, and Clint was laughing, and and it was a beautiful moment because I'm looking in the face of somebody that I've looked at ever since I was a kid. The lines on his face, mm. and the age, and the and the shoulders back, and the heroic stance that he had was just over fucking whelming and beautiful, you know. And I had a gun on him, you know. I had a gun on Dirty Fucking Harry, you know. Come on. I mean, how how exciting is that? You know what he did that night? He says, hey, Michael, come to my uh, trailer. I got something I want to show you. I go, oh, uh, yeah, sure. So I go to the trailer. It's Schwarzenegger's trailer with all the lifts and weights yeah. and things. You yeah. know, all that. But it's all been cleared up for Clint. And he puts on a documentary, Thelonious Monk. Oh, right. Yeah, the jazz So guy, we're yeah. both sitting. Yeah. And I'm not having a conversation at all. Watching Thelonious Monk, who had to be the most eccentric, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. jazz player. He's he adores jazz, as I'm sure you're aware. Yeah, yeah, the real music hound, and he thought that I would enjoy that. 
I mean, that's, I mean, incomprehensible, isn't it? Really, and and that's what happened. You know, he showed, you know, he showed me the documentary, and at the end of it, it had the Warner Brothers, um, you know, uh, yeah. symbol, you know, on it, and. At the end of it, he, he looked up at one, you know, the Warner Brothers minder who's back here and says, get that symbol at the, off the end. Get that Warner Brothers thing off the end of Thelonious Monk. That's a disgrace. And I realized wow. that the guy had more chops on every level, on a business level, as an actor, director, producer. He was an extraordinary guy. Wow. And I learned a lot from him. Wow. So that takes us right through the acting. Basically, is all you're focusing on in a way, but to the outside world, music starts to bubble up around the kind of mid 2010s. Is it kind of like you start, you work on another album, the key to the universe? Yeah. Yeah. One? Yeah. Well, you know, I made it in Rome. So you see, the thing is with me, the phone rings, pick up the phone guy says, would you come and make a record in Rome? I mean, who's going to say no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> You know, I mean, you know, I had a bunch of songs. I was, oh, I'm always writing, you know, uh, and I I went over to Rome and did it uh, and with Nigel on bass. Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, really fun, you know. Did it sell a lot? No. Did I have a ball? I, yes. I had my wife come over, Britta, you just met at the beginning, and uh, we just stayed on in Rome you know, after the album was over. So I always thought, is it, if you're going to do this, then this can happen. You know, we can stay in Rome for a little bit. You know, that was as intriguing as having a hit record, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because they're all moments in your life. And we were in Trastevere, which is a beautiful part of Rome, and then we went around the country. But, you know, that was the gift and the record, of course. And then you're also with a band called, well, and, but don't you with them now? Is it Michael De- Nicholas Bell and the Mistakes? Great yeah, rock and roll band. Yeah, but, that, you know, I signed to Wicked Cool Records with Stevie's label, Stevie yeah. Van Zandt's label, because I'm a DJ there and I've been there in years, you know, and he, and, you know, so he said, you get back in there and, and write some songs, you know. And I thought the Mistakes is the greatest name for a band in the history because because the mistake is always the best part of the show it is what makes it the most people you bought the ticket and it doesn't quite go right you think i saw that yes i saw that i moment. saw that when they were real <laughs> yeah when he tr- when he tripped over his, yeah. his high heel boots you know but they were great guys and and i still occasionally do that you know i got a record out with a band called prima donna yeah yes tremendous heard band, it, yeah. incredible band and, and i did that song and that's been pretty successful how did how did you sign to uh, stevie van zandt's uh, label how did you connect to him well, what happened was, you know, um, funnily enough, uh, it's Maureen Van Zandt that was really created this because I was on the internet interviewing people like you are doing so well. Um, and I was interviewing Marion Williamson, who's an esoteric writer, yeah. a brilliant woman. <clears throat> and this was not about Bill Wyman or, or you know, Long John Baldry or anything. This was about, you know, yeah. spirituality and metaphysics. And we were talking and Maureen saw it. And she remembered me from, because Checkered Past opened for Stevie in the 80s. Right. 
So Maureen goes to Stevie, goes, you know, and Andrew Golden was the was the DJ, the morning DJ in New York and in the evenings here in L.A. And um, he was he was leaving and they needed somebody to be that. And, you know, Maureen said to Stevie, try him. I mean, he's a smart guy. Try him. And he's been around. He knows what is what what's what. And Stevie um, called me and said, "I'd like you to do a couple of weeks, and we'll make a decision." And I did a couple of weeks, and that was nine years ago. Wow! And I'm on the radio every day for three hours, Sirius XM Channel Twenty One. Yes, I, I listened to your review of the Kinks Village Green Preservation Society, where you're uh, you're fright you're frightfully British. Your accent as you review that. Oh, wonderful. you have to do that because. It's, it's, you know, that's America loves it, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, and it's also, there's a certain sound, you know, that is very seductive yeah. to an American audience. And, yeah. uh, you know, if I say, yes, I didn't have a chance and they all go, oh, he's brilliant. He's a genius. He's a genius. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, and it's nonsense. It's just seductive bullshit, but you know, it works. And also the other thing, is I really love playing music that I didn't make. I can extol the virtues of others rather than, you know, um, my own, which is so good for you. You yeah. know, as a musician, you know, to really love um, Howlin' Wolf. And, you know, we play the best music, Otis, and all the, all the, all the Black Crows, you know, I mean, and everything in between. You know, yeah. And so Darling Love and amazing music. So um, just before we went live, we were talking about the film, um, Who Do You Want Me To Be? Now, how did, how did you get approached? This mm. You've had this very, as you say, a, a life that's up and down and got everything you want, everything you can imagine has been in it, has been in it. What, how did someone think, we knew, let's make a rock and roll documentary. What shall we use as a subject? Um, how about Michael Debar? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more, more or less. More yeah. or less, but the, the the real story is that I was doing a show on telly, and um, the producer was, uh, you know, this guy um, who, Mr. Weinstein, great guy, fantastic, and he and I got along very well. And we we're going to write a book. He was going to write a oh, book. Yeah. He's an incredible writer. So we we uh, we did that for a little bit, and then he thought, you know what, fuck this, let's just do a documentary, you know, and and it, co- it costs, I mean, look at the how good it is, you know, just on a technical level, I'm not saying good no, or good, it's fantastic. I'm just saying it's a beautifully edited and, and very smartly put together, and he did that, you know, that's Weinstein, and um, amazing, a rugged entertainment produced it, and, and away we went, you know, and he would just come over and talk. I didn't look at it. I mean, he got John Taylor and Don and all of Gabriel Byrne, all of my friends yeah. to talk, you know, and um, I didn't know anything until I went into that dark room and watched it after seven years. What was, what, was that, what was that like when you watched your life unfold on the big screen, having not I seen thought, it at all? I thought, God, I'm handsome. Wow. Look at those fucking cheekbones, man. That's amazing. And his mum and daddy never had a mother and father. That's so sad. But he's sexy, but it's sad. You know what I mean? It's like sexy sadness. Yeah, what's that like? Well, it's like Michael DeBar. It was amazing, you know. I mean, really good. So something like that. <laughs> that sounds about right, yeah. So what, how, what, do you, what do you do to look after yourself? Because obviously, 
you know, obviously it's been a long time since you um, partook in any alcohol or drugs or anything, but you said you started hitting the gym in the 80s. Have you, is that something that's part of your day-to-day ritual now? Yes. Yeah. And it's been part of my ritual, you know, for 20, 30 years, you know. And uh, I, I've even worked out when I was getting loaded, but uh, I I definitely love to work out. I eat right. I have the most beautiful wife and we have this beautiful house. And, you know, the pandemic was very interesting for me. It's disgusting and horrible. And I hate anybody in pain and diseased. Uh, I've literally been in the studio here and um, done my radio shows and written some songs and run. And, you know, a couple of ways, but basically keep moving. That's the secret. Keep moving, drink a lot of water, you know, and have a sense of joy in your yeah. life and be kind, be cool, be courageous, and you'll live forever. That's a that's a very good thing, to, very good maxim to, to follow. Yeah, and it obviously works very well for yourself. Yeah. What, what, kind, what kind of plans have you... Have you got? Um, it said. I remember one of the lines in the film was, um, "Michael will always have a hundred and one projects going on at the same time. He never yeah. never stands still for very long." Are you? Are you? Do you? Are you still got lots of things that you want to achieve or do? Or oh yeah, yeah. I I can't I can't tell you what it is because it's massive. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> and, and but uh, you'll see soon enough. But it's um yes somehow that's what's happened to me. You know, people thought, well, he can do it. He can do it. Look, he's done it, so he can do it. You know, and uh, that's that's a great bed to lie in, as it were, a double bed, triple bed. And, um, you know, I, I I write songs for others. I just did this prima donna thing, which I wrote with Stevie Van Zandt, actually, the A-side. <clears throat> and the other one was from Kevin Preston, who is with Green Day <laughs> playing guitar. So these guys are really good. And I've come to a place where, okay, so I'm I'm only going to do things that I really want to do, but things see, keep coming in, you know. Asking me to, I, I I quit acting because I just, especially because of the pandemic, because I don't trust, you know, if I'm going to go to New Orleans a couple of years ago and and play a bad guy, it's ridiculous, you mm. know, it's dangerous and it's silly, and I'm in my seventies, and you know, what am I going to do? Kill another, you know, politician and on telly, you know. In a way, perhaps. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, so, but this thing that I've got under my uh, when it when it comes out, I promise you, I'll tell you all about it. No, that's okay. The other thing that comes across in the movie and in your life, and following um, all of your all of your music adventures and and film TV stuff, is you're very you come across as being very positive. That some people would look into some of these projects that you've been involved in and think, oh, well, that didn't work out, or that didn't go according to plan. But you just seem to think, well, that you just dust yourself down and just bounce back. In fact, I don't. You come across as someone who doesn't even notice when when something hasn't quite worked. You're already flying off into the yeah. into the sunset towards something else. Is that yeah. how you kind of approach things? Yes. Isn't you know? I strongly suggest <laughs> that when something happens like that, it's happened. You know, it doesn't disturb me because this. Let's let's look at it this way. It, and I think it's interesting. If I hadn't left Silverhead, I wouldn't have joined Detective. Jimmy Page and I wouldn't have become close. I wouldn't have done, you know, Check It Past. I wouldn't have done Detective. All of these things were fantastic. Even even if they didn't come across and 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 put us up on this pedestal, I'm already on a fucking pedestal which I built. 
So I don't need anybody to give me a goddamn pedestal. So I don't look at it as like this one failed. You know, yeah, this is not the good way to think. The way yeah. to think is this is God's will. This is this is metaphysics. This is something that you you have to get over. That's why I say courageousness. Be courageousness. You know. Do you, do you be, have a you know, do you have like a spirit? Do you have like a a spiritual belief in, and you've had this confidence because you are such a confident, confident guy and creative person. Mm. Have you have? Do you have like a a spiritual belief that very much so? And yeah. that is be in the moment. Yeah, you've just got to be here, night, me and you. That's it. This is it. This is with spirituality right here. You know, it's not going to happen. You know, and I don't care if it didn't happen yesterday <laughs> because it did. <laughs> I stay in the present. I stay in the present. I don't think about oh, silver. It could have been bigger than the stones. You know, I mean, it's an absurdity. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. You know, and yeah. I've always managed to get by. And I've had up and ups and downs. I've had no money at all. You know, and uh, you know, and then get a phone call. It's been fantastic. It's been like being the palette with all the paint on it, Bill. Yeah, all the paint is there, and I just I've got the brush, and I will then you know see what the next thing looks like, what colors I should use. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Michael. This has been absolutely wondrous, um, and thank you, thank you for um, thank you for give, giving me your time for this uh, for this interview. I've absolutely loved it. And, oh, it's um, my pleasure. I've had a great time with you too. You know your stuff, and I really admire what you do for music. You know that is really wonderful. And thank, thank you very you much for that. Where, where where's the best place for people to get hold of you and to 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 find out about your music? My garden. <laughs> your garden. You know, you guys don't get serious, right? The the channel. You don't get that in England. No, 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 no. We don't. Well, I'm you know, I have five million listeners a day, and it's on Sirius XM. In terms of art and music, I have an album coming that's gonna blow everybody's mind. Excellent. Well, that's that's that sounds it's very, the best very thing I've ever done. But then again, this interview with you has been the best thing I've ever done, and I'm sure you understand it, what I'm saying. I understand because it's in this moment, yes. So therefore, it's the best. Yes, I understand. Yes, but the best and only. <laughs> you have no competition. You know. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'll put I'll put the links to the radio station and your website in the description and on the website so everyone can find out more about you. And I'd recommend everybody watches the film. Mm. It's absolutely superb. And it's on it's on Amazon Prime at the moment. Um, and it's it's worth it's worth watching. It's one of the best rock and roll documentaries I've ever seen. Oh, it that's really great. Is. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, 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 it, was, it was beautifully made, and I, I was so happy with it, and so few people are. They look at their, you know, all this so self-aggrandizing. You know, you watch documentaries, and the, the person who's being, you know, documented is turns into an idiot. <laughs> and so there's this wonderful thing, you know, this great tribute to them, and really yeah. they, they just come off so self-centered and self-absorbed and you yeah. know all of that crap went out the window when i was 14 yeah yeah don't need anybody to pat me on the back well take care michael and um i shall see you and hopefully talk to you again very soon thank I you thank so you for too. your time thank you oh totally man you're, you're the greatest and i've enjoyed it so much god bless thank you Bye.